So we joined the Shia in the Mizrahi Bet Midrash, um, and we are still on Perakaf, Pasuk Tet Zion. So in Pasuk Tet Zion, Avimelech says to Sarah, having given presents to Abraham, having tried to appease Abraham, as Rashi said, about the situation where Avimelech took Sarah into his harem, um, and Hashem forced him to give her back. And then we read in Tet Zion, Ula Sarah Omar, just Sarah, I've given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. And Rashi said that um, he gave money to her brother because uh, the brother of whom she had said, he is my brother. And he said, this Rashi explains the kasut enayim lachol asher itach. What does it mean, a kasut enayim? Yekasu enayim shalo yekaluch. It will cover their eyes, it will cover the eyes of other people so that they do not degrade you. That's how he understands kasut enayim. And then he explained, we did this last week, what exactly is the logic by way of giving money to her brother? It shows a, a protection of her status, if you like. And then he says, um, right uh, after explaining the Ed Kol and after explaining the Nochachat, he says, um, Okay, Unculus explains it in a different way. Now, this seems to be, I, I was looking for a particular reason why he explains Unculus, and I think it's the fact that Unculus goes in a particular different direction. Unculus in this pasuk does not translate literally word for word. He adds in extra details. And I can't say it all the time because I haven't checked, but often when Unculus does this, Rashi helps us understand the Unculus. Rashi assumes that we've learned Unculus before we learn Rashi. So if it's an odd Unculus, Rashi will explain it for us. So he says, Unculus explains it in a different way. And the words of the text, this is how they fall on the Targum. In other words, the Targum, even though he plays a little bit of a, uh, a stretch with the text, nevertheless, you can match up the text with the Targum, as opposed to other Midrashim, which Rashi doesn't bring, or occasionally, like he's going to, will mention but not bring, because they don't really fit the text. This Targum Onkelos does fit the text. But let's look at Targum Onkelos, and then we'll look at what Rashi says on it. So Rashi Onkelos on Tet Zion says as follows, Ula Sarah Amar, to Sarah he said, I have given a thousand, Sela is a, a measure, a, 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 a currency of silver to your brother. Behold, this is to you, Kasut Dikar Enayim. It's a Kasut Dikar, it's a, a covering of honor. Enayim Chalaf de Shalchit. The word Enayim just means sort of eyes. Be, instead of, or in, in recompense for the shalchit, I sent the bartich, I took you, the chazait yitach, and I saw you, the yat kol imach, and all that are with you. So Unculus adds quite a few things. He says, this kasut um, enayim is a garment of honor. That's not, a, that's not adding, that's just his translation. Uh, and then he says, Chalaf, um, it's instead of or in recompense for the shalachit that I sent for you. That's not in the original Hebrew, 
Vardavartich, I took you, Vachazeta. This is a particular innovation of Unclos, and I saw Yatich, I saw you, Vachkoldeimach, and all that are with you. And by the way, there's at least two ways of understanding I saw you and all that are with you. All that are with you, which is the translation of Asher Itach, either means I saw all of you, like I saw your nakedness and all of it, or um, there were other people who were taken with you, your maidservants, we're now suggesting, were taken along with Sarah because she always had attendants, and he saw them as well as seeing Sarah. But the key point is, Onkelos thinks there's some seeing going on in that Rashi didn't. Rashi said, it uh, doesn't refer literally to people's eyes. Whereas Onkelos says, Kusutenayim is a garment of honor for the eyes that I had when I saw you. So now let's see Rashi. Rashi says again, And this is how the words, the words of the text fall on the Targum. This is how we can match up the Targum with our text. Behold, you have a covering of honor. By the way, often um, we find other places, but I can't give you a quote, that um, a garment is the metaphorical way of restoring honor. Uh, and because both literally and metaphorically, if somebody is unclothed, they are disgraced. So in order to restore their honor, you clothe them. But also metaphorically, a garment, a cloak, restores honor. So here, a kusut shal kabod, al ha'enayim shali, about my eyes. Onkelos doesn't say that explicitly. Rashi is helping us understand what Onkelos is saying. My eyes, shashaltu bach, that ruled over you. Ubechol asher itach, and all that are with you. And that's why he translates as follows. As I explained earlier, I saw you and all that are with you. In other words, the key point, I mean, there's, there's different ways of sort of homing in on the difference between Rashi and Onkelos. Yeah, there are obviously a few key differences, but the key one is Einayim, uh, is the eyes. So the Pasuk says, um, Ain'ayim, that's right. Uh, so Rashi says it's the eyes of people who would look badly on you. It doesn't literally mean their eyes. It doesn't literally mean the act of seeing. It's really that they would regard you in a lowly fashion. Whereas Uncle says it's my eyes, as Abimelech is speaking, my eyes saw you, which obviously was a wrong thing to do. And that's why I'm now compensating you for that. Then Rashi says, There are other Midrashim, Aval Yishuv HaMikra Perashti. But I have explained the way to settle the text. In other words, Rashi does this occasionally. We've seen this a number of times. Um, there's loads and loads of midrashim that Rashi doesn't bring, and Rashi doesn't quote, and Rashi doesn't refer to. Occasionally, Rashi will say, there are midrashim, but I'm not going to quote them because they don't fit the pshat. They don't fit the yeshuv hamikra. They don't settle the text. But I'm going to tell you about them, which is a sort of hint that maybe you want to go and see them. So he's referring to a midrash here that also focuses on kasut in a different way entirely that says kasut enayim is a weakening of the eyes of the child you're going to have. Now, obviously this is written with a little bit of hindsight, perhaps. Who's the child that Sarah is going to have? Yitzchak, and what, what do we know about his eyes? They dimmed, as we saw in yesterday's Sedra. So the, the big difference of this approach is it's not a, uh, a, a compensation, it's not a building Sarah up, it's a curse on Sarah. And Kisutanaim has that meaning of weak eyes for your children. And Rashi says, you know, uh, I'm going to mention it. It's interesting. It's worth a look at, but it's not the Yeshuv Hamikra. Now, um, the next two psukim we actually saw, I think two, maybe three weeks ago, 
Uh, so we, and we saw the Rashi there. Um, and this is the conclusion of the background that Rashi has mentioned a couple of times already, but this illness that Abimelech and his household were suffering from. It hasn't been mentioned in the Chumash, it's been mentioned in Rashi, now it's mentioned in the Chumash, and this is where Rashi gets it from. For yet palel Avraham el Elokim, Hashem, sorry, Avraham davened to Hashem, Yirpa Elokim et Abimelech, and God healed Abimelech et ishto ve'imhotab ve'yeleidu, and his wife and his maidservants, and they gave birth. I'll read the next passage as well. Ki atzar atzar Hashem ba'ad kol rechem, that Hashem had closed up against every womb, Levait Avimelech, the house of Avimelech, Aldavar Sarah, well, Russia will explain that, Eshet Avraham, the wife, something to do with Sarah, the wife of Avraham. So the simple shot is that there had been a curse of infertility on Avimelech's household. By the way, this matches up very nicely, and we're going to see the connection between what's going to happen right now. Sarah is going to have a baby. So there's a clear link between Abimelech's household being prevented from having children, then they were, because of Abraham Daven, they did have children, and Sarah's going to do the same thing, and Rashi's going to make a particular link between that. But Rashi says it's not about, uh, just about infertility, but this illness spread much wider. So says Rashi on Yudzayim, Vayeleidu, um, they gave birth, he says, Ketargum, or should be understood as the Targum has it, the it rachvachu, there was an easing, there was an expanding. Niftachu nikvehem, the orifices were opened, and they could pass out. he leder shalahem, and that is the, their type of leder, their type of birth. So Rashi said earlier that the, the affliction was that all the orifices were closed up, they couldn't pass water, they couldn't pass. Uh, they couldn't defecate, they couldn't, uh, nothing came out of their nose, their ears, and they couldn't um, produce seed to inseminate their wives. All those things they couldn't do, and the women couldn't give birth, and then they were all released, and that constitutes labor. So it's not literally birth, although it would have included birth, but it's, it's all sorts of openings of orifices which have been closed. Why does Rashi understand this in such a wide sense? Um, so there's just two relevant answers, I think. One, I'll give the second one first, because it's not so strong. The second one, which is not so strong, is this whole incident took place in a short period of time, probably only a matter of a day. Uh, Abimelech takes Sarah, and then he gives her back. And it's unlikely that all the women in Abimelech's household, A, were pregnant, and B, were synchronized pregnant, and were going to give birth at just that time. But of course, the killer reason why Rashi says it's not just about giving birth, and we talked about this before, is because in Pasuk Yudzayin, it says, elokim et So Abimelech was suffering from this mystery illness. Abimelech is not going to be suffering for not being able to give birth because he is male. So it must be a broader type of disease. And then in the Yudchet, uh, no, Rashi says on the words, Ba'ad kol rechem in Yudchet, keneged kol petach. So he says, where it says rechem, meaning womb, but it actually means all openings, all openings of the body, for the reasons we've explained. He has to say that this whole reference to birth and to womb is to be understood in a non-literal fashion. And then finally, and this we haven't discussed before, al-davar sarah. So Hashem, it says uh, in Yudchet that Hashem had closed up all wombs, which we now know means closed up all openings. Al-davar sarah, eshet Abraham. Says Rashi, al-pi dibura shel sarah. 
according to the word of Sarah. So the Midrash says that the Malach came to afflict all the people and Sarah accompanied the Malach and said, this one, this one, this one, this one. She used her words to cause the plague to, to fall on the victims thereof. Why does Rashi say this? Probably because, well, I can give you two answers. Either because Aldavar Sarah is not the usual way to say because of Sarah. What's the usual way to say because of Sarah? Um, if you look, uh, we probably won't get here tonight, but in Perak Kaf Aleph, Pasuk Yud Aleph, we have a equivalent expression, and it's a different expression. Because of his son. Abraham was very upset. We'll see why later. Because of his son. And that is a more usual way of saying because of. So Aldavar Sarah is not the usual way. And since it's not the usual way, we darshan what, what is the word implying? And it's implying Alpi Dibura, according to her word. In other words, Aldavar is to be taken more literally um, based on the word of Sarah rather than me taking in the non-literal sense because of Sarah. But perhaps a stronger point is not only is it a phrase that perhaps is an odd phrase, it's a totally redundant phrase. We know why Avimelech had been afflicted. We've just learned the whole Perak. There is no doubt it was because of Sarah. So why does the Torah have to say, Al-Davar, Sarah, Eshet, Abraham? So maybe that's what Rashi is dealing with. Not just the odd expression, but the redundant expression that needs a, a drasha, it needs an exposition on it. Okay, we now move to Pasuk Perakaf Aleph which, if you like, is the next chapter in the significant milestones of Jewish history. And Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child. They've been promised a great nation. Nothing has happened. And now it happens. And we read about the birth of Yitzchak. Interestingly, I notice, I to say, but the birth of Yitzchak takes place um, basically the first eight pesukim. And then immediately Yitzchak's put aside and we talk about Yishmael and Hagar. And uh, it's an example, I think, of, Yishma, of Yitzchak being very, very passive in the way he's recorded in the Torah. He gets born, and then we don't really hear very much about him again for a while. Anyway, what happens? Pasuk Aleph. V'Hashem pakad et Sarah. Hashem remembered Sarah. In other words, Hashem doesn't need to remember things because he doesn't forget things. But when he remembers, that means he acts. So he acted with Sarah, ka'asher amar, as he said, v'yaz Hashem Sarah, and Hashem did for Sarah, as he had spoken. So there's clearly repetition here. What does it mean? And what does it mean? So Rashi will explain that. But first of all, Rashi says, in Pasuk Aleph, the uh, author of the Torah, i.e. Hashem, juxtaposed this parsha at this point, to teach you, anyone who requests mercy for his fellow, and he, the requester of mercy, also needs the same salvation, he is answered first. So if Reuben davens for Shimon, because Shimon, for instance, to get well, and Reuben also needs a refuah, then Reuben will get the refuah first. That's the power of davening for someone else. How do we know that? Shneemar, because it says, the Palel, he davened. That was in Pasuk Yud Zayim. He davened for Avimelech and his household. But Samichle, 
and it then joins the Hashem Pakad et Sarah. Hashem remembered Sarah. Shepakad Kavar, that he had remembered her already. Kodem Shiripei et Avimelech, before Hashem healed Avimelech. Okay, there's a lot to be said about this, and Mizrahi has a lot to say, but so do others as well, because there's a problem about the problem. Rashi seems to be saying this is all about smichut parshiot. Smichut parshiot is the juxtaposition of parshiot. And from time to time, Rashi makes a, a, a thing about why one parsha is next to another parsha. And there's a significance for it. There's an idea that links one to the other. Often he doesn't. And why doesn't he? And why does he? So the simple answer, which, which is usually works, is he will comment on the smichut parshiot where the parashat shouldn't naturally have come next to each other. If they're at a different time frame, or if one came before the other in, in reality, or, or they were separated by a different incident in between, and yet they were put next to each other in the Torah, then Rashi will say, ah, you know why they are put next to each other? To teach you the following thing. But that must be predicated on the fact there's a reason why they shouldn't have been put next to each other in the first place. It only makes sense for Rashi to tell you there's a special reason why they are put next to each other, if you would have expected them not to be put next to each other. The problem here is there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't be put next to each other. There's nothing to dash because chronologically, this is exactly what happened next. Um, this this parasha of Vayera, um, there's incidents that happen. We all know when they're going to happen. So it starts with the angels visiting Abraham, saying that Yitzhak's going to be born a year later, when I return in the next year. Those same angels then go to uh, Saddam, the next night they destroy Saddam. Lot escapes, then there's Lot with his daughters because, says Rashi, because of the uh, uh, disrepute that Lot brought, Abraham then moved as a result, or Abraham moved because of the destruction of Saddam, which was at the same time. He moved to Gerar. He spent time with Abimelech, not a lot of time. And the next thing is, Hashem's promise that was made about a year to come is then fulfilled. So it really is in the right chronological order. So why does Rashi say, Samach parasha Zulakan? Hashem joined this parasha to this point, Lelamedcha, to teach you a special thing. So there are different ways of answering this, but I think the clearest and best answer is, as Rashi himself says, if you look carefully, it's not the Smichot Parshiot per se. It's the fact that there's something in Kaf Aleph that refers back to the previous parent. And in particular, it's the, it's the opening words, the Hashem Pakat, Hashem remembered Sarah. In other words, Hashem made Sarah conceive and then have a baby. And as Rashi says on those words, Hashem Pakat et Sarah, Shepakad Kavar, he had already remembered her. What do we talk, call this? This is the plue perfect. This isn't just Hashem remembered a past event, but Hashem had already remembered. So even in the past, it was already in the past. It had happened like two stages before. We call this the blue perfect. In English, it usually involves the word had before the verb. So it's not Hashem remembered Sarah. It's Hashem had remembered Sarah. How do we know it's Hashem remembered Sarah? Because of a very important principle that Rashi introduced in Perak Dalat Pasuk Aleph, um, where it says, after the expulsion from Gan Eden, Perak Dalat Pasuk Aleph, Adam yada et chava ishto. Adam then knew I had relations with Chava, his wife. And Rashi says there, in Perak Dalapasak Aleph, on the words for Adam Yada, Kavar Kodem Ha'inyan Shomala. 
it was already before the previous matter. In this case, in Perik Dalad, it's before the expulsion from Gan Eden, they'd already had relations and indeed children have been born. As Rashi says there, a couple of lines later in Stolin Dalad Aleph, Shi'im Katub Vayeda Adam. If it had written verb followed by noun, followed by subject, sorry, then then it would tell you that after he'd been exiled, then he had children. But since it puts in the unusual form in classical Hebrew, subject followed by verb, that means it is perfect. And what do we have here? The Hashem Pakadet Sarah, subject followed by verb. So it means Hashem had already remembered Sarah before the previous thing. Now, what is the previous thing? This is the significance of the Smichot Parsha. It's not that the juxtaposition itself is what's teaching you this lesson about anyone who davens for somebody gets, gets heard first. But rather, it tells you that Hashem Pekad means Hashem remembered Sarah before whatever had happened before. And it's the Smichot Parsha that tells you what had happened before. That's what Rashi means. So what had happened before? In Pasuk Yitzayin, V'yipalel Abraham. So the Hashem Pekad is before V'yipalel Abraham, which is the adjoining Parsha. So teaching you that if you, uh, Abraham Davin, for Abimelech to get better and for his household to be healed, which was an expression of Leida, so then he and Sarah are remembered, i.e. given the, uh, the uh, result of conception and birth, be, uh, they'd already been remembered before Abraham Davin. Yes. Um, really quickly, I know you're going to discuss obviously the obvious repetition in this pasuk, but you said earlier that Pakad, when, when it says like Hashem remembered, it actually means Hashem acted. Yes. How could that be like had acted, I guess, when he hadn't acted? In the sense that like, if we're saying that Hashem had already remembered yes. um, Sarah even before her, um, um, Davin for Abimelech, yes. then... She'd already conceived. That's what it means. Ah, so she, okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Good answer. Okay. Um, there is a comment in... Brackets. I don't know if any of your texts have it, um, but it's it's not in most texts. About there's a, it might come at the end of his comment on Aleph, or it might come at this point. But we're not going to learn it because it's not authentic Rashi. Um, about there's actually a couple of examples, and it might be one about um, the face of uh, Yitzchak looking like Abraham. Oh, that might be come at a different place. We're not going to learn that either because it's not authentic Rashi. And there's a debate in the Gemara, which the non-Rashi but looks like Rashi brings down about whether. The pregnancy, which resulted in the birth of Yitzchak, was six months or nine months, and that would relate to the dating of the whole incidents. Okay, but we're not going to learn that. It's not in my book, and it's not in most books. Actually, it is in my book, <laughs> but we're not going to learn it. Okay, um, so now the obvious repetition: Pakad Saet Sarah Kasher Amar Hashem remembered Sarah as he had said, Beherayon, regarding the conception or pregnancy. And then regarding the birth, they are two separate things. You might say, well, obviously they come together. Well, the truth is they don't always come together. There's not every conception leads to a birth. So that's why there's two separate things. And it, the, the pastor clearly indicates there are two separate things. One is something that Hashem said, and one is something, uh, sorry, said, and one is something that Hashem spoke. One is Amar and one is Diber, which leads Rashi to say, the Heichan Hi Amira, the where is the Amira and where is the Dibur? Because the Pasuk clearly indicates there's two separate things that were promised. One with Veloshan Amir and one Veloshan Diber. So Amira, Vayome Elohim, Hashem said, this is Yudzai and Yutet, part of the uh, Brit Mila, and Hashem said, 
at the time of the Brit Mila, there's going to be wonderful things happening. Aval Sarah Ishtacha. Indeed, Sarah, your wife, will give birth. Dibur is Hayadava Hashem El Avram. That is actually the Brit Ben Avatarim. I've just noticed like the two key Britot in Abraham's life are being referenced here. Brit Mila and then and out of order, Brit Ben Avatarim. As the Rashi says, for Brit Ben Avatarim. Basham Neamar, and there it says, Lo Yirashika Zeh, this one will not inherit you. Because at the Brit Ben Avatarim, Abraham was saying, it looks like Eliezer, my servant, is going to inherit everything I've got. And Hashem said, no, this one will not inherit you, but somebody who will come literally from you. Um, there will be a Yoresh, which will come from you and inherit And Rashi says, And the inheritor will come from Sarah. Now, if you look carefully, um, the, the Pesukim he quoted don't match up about Harayon and Leda. There's no reference explicitly to Harayon in the Amira Pasuk, and there's no reference explicitly to Leda in the so that's not what Rashi means. Rashi doesn't mean there's an expression of Amira which relates to Harayon because you don't find that. But what Rashi means is there were two promises um, and they lead to two things. And what are those two things in the process of the child being born? They must be one, Harayon, and two, later. Um, there's something else to say, but we thought let's just read the last line of Rashi, um, which will impact what I'm about to say. Vayas Hashem Sarah Ka'asher Dibel. Hashem did to Sarah as he had spoken. Rashi's repeating himself uh, because he's now saying something else on this. La Avraham, as he said to Avraham. Because you might think that um, Hashem did to Sarah as he had spoken sounds like as he had spoken to Sarah. But that can't be because he never spoke to Sarah. We don't have any recorded instance of Hashem speaking to Sarah, even though she was a Nebuah. Um, she, she was a Nebuah. Um, but we do find that Hashem spoke to Abraham, and Rashi makes clear that when it says, it's not as he spoke to Sarah, but as he spoke to Abraham. Um, I saw a very um, cute thing, um, which may or may not be Rashi's intention, but when Hashem brings, uh, comes to give the Torah to the Jewish people, in Perak Yud Tet of Shemot, Pasuk Gimel, he says, Ko tomar lebet Yaakov, betagid lebet Yisrael. This is what you will say to uh, Bet Yaakov, and this is what you will tell to Bnei Yisrael. And what does Rashi say there? Why is the Beis Yaakov school movement called the Beis Yaakov school movement? Because, he says, the Ko tomar lebet Yaakov, is this what you will say to the women? And Amira is nice and soft and appropriate for women. And Tagid, which comes from the same idea as Gidin, sinews, is tough. And that's how you speak to the men. And Rashi says there, the Bnei Israel are the men and Beit Yaakov are the women. And Amira goes with the women and Haggadah goes with the men. Now he says elsewhere that Dibur is Loshon Kasher, is harsh. So it's quite appropriate to match up Dibur with Tagid. In other words, what we see here is one expression, the Amira is for the women, which in this case was Sarah. And the other expression, the Dibur is for Avraham. And maybe that's what our Rashi is hinting at in that, his last, that last word there, when he says, Hashem So number one, he's saying, if you're wondering when did, it sounds like he spoke to Sarah, no, he didn't. But it's also the case that he's, 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 he's emphasizing that the Dibur was to Avraham. The Amira wasn't to Sarah, but it was about Sarah. Why do I say it was about Sarah? 
because the passage really quoted for the Amira was means Sarah, your wife, will have a baby. So it's about Sarah. Whereas the passage he quoted for the Dibur was about inheritance. That's not about who's giving birth, but it's about who's inheriting from Abraham. That's the only person you inherit from. So when it comes to who's the inheritor, that's related to Abraham. When it's who's the giving birth, that's related to Sarah. So again, I'm just adding on to the Amira about the Harayon is about Sarah and the, um, the uh, Dibur is explicitly said it's to Abraham, uh, just like the Kotomar and, to, and uh, the Tagid Levnei Yisrael. Okay, uh, I found the bits in brackets in my book. They are they, it's what appears here, but we're not going to read about Lizkunav Shahayaziv Ikunin Shalom Domelo. It's not authentic Rashi, and nor Lemoeda Shedibe Oto. Actually, there's two quotes one in brackets, and the next one is not in brackets, and that's where we're going to start. So Pasuk Bet says, The Tahar, she conceived, the Teled Sarah, and Sarah gave birth to Abraham, to Abraham, Ben Lizkunav. A son for his old age, Lemoed Asher Diber Oto Elokim. At the time which Hashem Oliva Oto Elokim, that Elokim had said, would Oto I'll leave hanging. Um, because what does Oto mean? So Rashi quotes the Targum, and he quotes two words of the Targum. It doesn't say explicitly this is the Targum, but it's, it, it is. Demalel uh, Yatei, that he said, Yate, which means of it, about it, as opposed to with him. So the word oto can mean about it or can mean with him. And Rashi is pointing out, but the Targum is pointing out that it means of it because it doesn't mean with him, because with him will be a different word. It'll be ime, with a mem. So what's about it? So now we can understand. Um, at the time, which Hashem had spoken about, about the time. Um, that's it, sorry, not with Abraham. So now it's at the time which Hashem had spoken about. Now Rashi has to say, when did Hashem speak about the time? When did Hashem say that this is the moment that the baby will be born? So. Three angels came, he said, this time in a year. Who said? All right, let's read on. Let's read on. The time that Hashem had spoken of the kava and fixed kasha amar lo when he said to him, At this time I will return to you. But remember, who's the he saying? It's actually one of the angels. Oh, they're speaking for God. But then Rashi goes on. Sarat lo sarita bakotel. He, the angel, scratched a scratch in the wall. The Amarlo and said to him, When the sun comes to this mark, i.e., this scratch, in the following year, she will give birth. So Rashi is giving a detail, which we haven't heard up till now, that when the Malachim, speaking on behalf of Hashem, said, they actually demonstrated an action to verify this thing, this prophecy, that a line on the wall acts as a sort of super sundial, that when the sun comes, presumably at the same time of day, I think it would have to be, if it hits the same shadow, same moment, at the same time, that will happen in a year's hence, and that's when uh, the baby will be born. So that is 
um, explaining what it means, Hashem had spoken about it. Interestingly, Rashi adds in the word, the cover and fixed, because it wasn't just that he spoke about it, but he designated, Mumish, this moment is what will, in a year's time is when the baby will be born. I did see a suggestion, I don't fully understand it, that Hashem is not, the Asher Diber Oto must refer to an action and not just a prophecy. Um, that the Oto means it must have some substance. So that's why Rashi searches and finds an action that is part of the statement. So that's about the scratching the scratch in the wall. So it was that action that now is being referred back to in a pasuk. And that's why Rashi needs to find an action for the pasuk to refer back to. Not quite sure why just a prophecy alone is, is not enough. But it's interesting that Rashi adds the word vakava and then tells this story to show that Hashem had not just spoken of the time, but a fixed of the time. And this is what Hashem had, been promised, had promised. And this is now what happened. Well, yes. Some story about like scratching the wall of the is, is that a midrash? Ah, yes, it is a midrash. Um, I don't know exactly where it's from. This book doesn't have a reference. There you go. Tanchumi Yashan. Basically, we're saying that if it was like 11 a.m. and they came and they scratched, that's why it'll be baby will be born at 11 a.m. Is there any reason why we need to be so specific and why he adds the cover? Like, is there? Because I, I think. This is his understanding of a shared diber oto that he had spoken. I'm translating of he had spoken about. Action. Yes. Okay, not okay. Of, it, of the angel actually coming out of the whole event. The angel. Like, well, not, not of like, the fact that they, of it being the event, like when the angel came a year ago, like it was like more general time, it had to be a specific. Action. Yes. Yeah, I'm saying that <clears throat> a shared diber oto relates to a particular fixing and a particular action. Okay, Rashi <coughs> understands that's what the Dibur is about. And I guess my question is, couldn't the action be the angels coming and telling them? That, you know, and, okay, so that's why I said I'm, I'm not fully understanding why. It's not the angels coming in the whole palaver and, and the, the tongues and the, uh, and the milk and all that. It, it's the prediction mm. that um, I will return to you at a, fixed, at a time. But then Rashi, I suppose, adds what that time was. Maybe I'm just thinking now that the whole the scratch on the wall means precisely a year. And the words Lemoeda Shovelecha is not quite as specific as that. Okay, um, we have some sukim without Rashi, but we will just go through them quickly. Pasuk Gimel, by Yikra'a Brahamet Shem Bano. So I know that's why I said that was not authentic Rashi. That's why I missed it up. Okay, I'm being uh, censorious here. <laughs> um, and that's why it's in round brackets. Is it in round brackets in your book? Okay. The other one, the other Lemoyed is there. Okay. So. Um, uh, <clears throat> I did check in the authenticated versions, it's not there. Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, which Sarah had born to him, Yitzchak. Abraham circumcised Yitzchak, his son. Ben Shmonat Yamim, eight days old, as Hashem had commanded him. Can you hear the Rosh Hashanah laning here? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear the trot? Yes. Can I ask? I mean, I know Rosh doesn't comment, so you may defer to that answer, but there's a lot of repetition about obviously it's Yitzchak Abram's son. Obviously, Sarah gave birth to him. Is there any reason why the Torah keeps repeating this, this fact? Um, it's an interesting question, and I, I use my usual get out of jail card by saying Rosh doesn't comment, so we don't need to. Um, it may, but as you say, I know what's coming next. Uh, and I know there's going to be a reference now 
and there's also a reference at the beginning of Parashat Toldot, which we might remember from yesterday's cetera, that there was suspicion that Abraham wasn't the father, and there was also suspicion that Sarah wasn't the mother, and we'll see that very soon. So it just may be that the Torah is either hinting at that or reassuring us that this is what actually is the case. Uh, because in Pasuk Gimel, um, you've got the father and the mother being explicitly referenced. Yeah, yeah, my question would be then why isn't that every single time do they stress that? But I guess your response could be this is specifically about the birth and maybe they're uh, where is the uh, pushing it? Is, uh, okay. This was the point to which the challenge was. Yeah, okay. yeah. <clears throat> because, okay. Okay. thank you. Do you want to add something? No. And I was just thinking, like, told that is like really replete with like, as in what we just saw, like, like Rivka said to her son about what their father's like, like all these descriptions of how everyone's related. Like, we know the whole story, we know how everyone's connected. But, like, I think in that case, it's it's not, I don't know if it's to emphasize the relationship specifically, but it's like, you know, also this really tragic story of like these family members are so disconnected and there's this continual emphasis on like they're related and like there's all this talk about family, but like there isn't really sort of acting it out in the same way. Mm, interesting. But, I mean, here, you know, everything's still okay when you have the baby, but like they do become disconnected later on. Uh, who do you think becomes disconnected? Abraham and Yitzhak. Uh, why? Because you. Christ sacrificed him? Yeah, and then afterwards you don't really hear of them being so connected. Yeah, I I, I, I wouldn't, personally, I, I don't place too much draw on that. I mean, there is a interpretation which I really reject. Um, people write negative things about the Akeda because it's trendy. Uh, and they say that after the Akeda, Yitzchak was so upset and so traumatized, that's why he disappears. And that's why he doesn't, uh, and therefore, because he disappears from the text, he disappears from his life. That derivation, I think, is, is illegitimate. The Torah is not a history book. The Torah doesn't tell us everything that happened. The Torah tells us very, very few things that happened. Um, I, I often comment on the fact that Abraham and Yitzchak's life overlapped for 75 years. Yeah. Um, and the Torah records one piece of dialogue between them for that, from that whole time. What is that piece of dialogue? One question that Yitzchak asks and one answer that Abraham gives. Yitzchak asks, where's the lamb? And Avram says, don't worry, Hashem will sort it out. That's it. Now, that does not mean that over the, oh, those entire 75 years, they didn't say anything else. What it means is that's the only thing the Torah feels a need to record for us to learn. So I, I don't know if this is where you were coming from, but the idea that I, I have seen that, that uh, it was such a terrible thing for Avram to do that, uh, I mean, this is part of the, I don't want to get into all details here, but this is part of the uh, view that Abraham shouldn't have acceded to God's request, that he failed the test, because the test really was for him to react negatively to the suggestion. I think that's absurd, and it's not borne out by the text at all, at all, at all. And I've seen added to that is this idea that Yitzchak split, split away from Abraham, that's why he doesn't appear. Now, it may well be that Yitzchak distanced himself from Abraham. Um, maybe that, uh, I mean, Rashi asked the question, where did he go after the Akeda? And Rashi and one of the Midrash asked the question. One answer is he went to the yeshiva of Shemba Eber, and one answer is he somehow went even into Shemayim, that he's now on a different plane. But you can't learn from the silence that that means they were just they were um, disengaged. I don't know if that's where you were coming from. Uh, not necessarily the silence, but like he ends up at Be'er Lachairo'i, and like, he's a, he, like, it seems like he's a well, there's a lot to say about Yitzchak, and a lot to say about what the Torah doesn't say about Yitzchak. The Torah tells us very little about Yitzchak. Um, and the little bit he tells us seems to be a carbon copy of Abraham. 
um, the digging the whole the digging the wells bit in Tolda is it's explicitly he dig the, dug the wells that his father had done. And Hashem says, I'm going to bless you. You know why? Because Avram is such a good guy. He doesn't say that to Yaakov. He doesn't say, I'm going to bless Yaakov because Yitzchak is such a good guy. Hashem, everything Yitzchak does seems to be in the shadow of Avram. And that, that's a whole story about Yitzchak. Also, one can say, and again, I don't think this is conclusive, but he goes to Be'er Lachairo'i because that's where Hagar had a vision of God. And, and Yitzchak is, it goes out, even in the middle of the day when he's doubling Mincha, he separates from the world. Yitzchak is the, is the otherworldly. More, much more so than his father or son. But that's just one way of looking at it. Anyway, we have diverted from the text a lot. So let's get back. Pasuk, hey, but Abraham, Ben, Mea Shana. Abraham was 100 years old when Yitzchak was born to him. But no, his son. Again, more sons here. Okay, now we've come on to Pasuk. Bab and Rashi rejoins us. But Thomas Sarah, Sarah said, Sachok asa li elokim. Hashem has made laughter for me. Kol hashomea Yitzchak li. Anyone who hears will laugh li with me, for me. Let's see. So Rashi says in the word Yitzchak li, Yismach elai. They will rejoice for me or on me. Everyone will hear that I've had a baby and everyone will be happy for me. Notice that, um, well, let's actually uh, set the scene by looking at pair of Yud Zion Zion. Sorry, Yud Zion Yud Zion. How about that? Yud Zion Yud Zion. Um, when Abraham is told he's going to have a son, the Yipol Abraham al Panav by Yitzchak. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And that's uh, he was so happy to be told he was going to have a son. But in Yud Pet, Yud Bet. When Sarah hears from the Malachim that she's going to have a son, the Titzchak Sarah Bekiba, Sarah laughed within her, and Hashem castigates Sarah for this laughter. Why did Sarah laugh? So, how do we know that Abraham's laughter was a good laughter and Sarah's laughter was not a good laughter? So, Rashi's answered that for us. And Rashi says, look at the Targum. So in Yudzayin, Yudzayin, Unafal Abraham ala pohi, the chadi. Chadi is rejoice, it's a good laughter. But if you look at Yudchet, Yudbet, the chaychat, Sarah bima'eha, sorry, bima'ahe, chaychat, she mocked. That's a mocking laughter. And Rashi told us to look at the Targum to see the good laughter as opposed to the bad laughter. Look, why do I say all this? Because on this Pasuk, on Kaf Aleph Vav, what does Targum say? Hashem has made joy for me. So this is the good laughter. This is the laughter of joy. And Rashi says, Yismach Alai, all the people Yitzchakli will be happy, will have simcha, good laughter. And that's really nice. They'll all hear that I've had a baby, Yismach Alai, and they will rejoice with me or on me. Then Rashi says, Umidrash Agada. There's a Midrash. Harbe Akarot Nifkadu Imach. Many barren women were remembered with her, i.e., conceived. Harbe Cholim Nitrapu Boba Yom. Many ill people were healed that day. Harbe Tufilot Naanu Imach. Many prayers were answered with her. The robe Sachok Hayab Olam. And there was lots of laughter in the world. 
What's the difference between Rashi's two pshatim? First of all, the first one is, they will rejoice with me. And that fits with the word Yitzchak Li. Yismach Alai is a translation of Yitzchak Li. They will rejoice with me, or better still, on me, or about me. But then Rashi brings another pshat, because there is a problem with the first pshat. Why would it be that everyone would be rejoicing with Sarah? Is everyone, first of all, does everyone know that Sarah's had a baby? Maybe that's a problem. Secondly, is everyone sort of invested in the project that would make them all happy? Actually, we see that other people aren't all that very nice. And in fact, Rashi's going to bring a midrash very, very, very soon. It says people were uh, very cynical. She's just been with Abimelech. That wasn't a very nice experience. People aren't so nice. So maybe just the fact that Sarah's had a baby would not in reality be a cause for an outpouring of joy. So that's why Rashi brings a midrash to say that everyone's going to be full of laughter at the same time as me. It's a midrash because it doesn't fit the words Yitzchak Libet so well, but it explains the logic of everyone being full of laughter, everyone being full of joy, not because of Sarah, but because of other reasons. So really the key difference between the two Pshatim is are they rejoicing with Sarah or are they rejoicing for reasons other than Sarah? Then we go on to Pasuk Zion. And she said, Mi Milel la Abraham. So I will translate it literally, and Rashi will help us understand. Who will speak to Abraham? Will Sarah nurse, breastfeed children, plural? Because I have given him, I have born a son for his old age. So what's going on? So Rashi says, Mi Milel Abraham, Lashon Shevach Vachashivut. It's an expression of praise and significance. This me, talking about the word me. Kamo, he quotes a passage from Yeshaya. Mi Pa'al Asa, who has done and done? Works better in Hebrew. And then he quotes another passage from Yeshaya. Mi Bara Ela, who created these? Now, if you look in Yeshaya, you'll see that it's not a question. It's not, oh, by the way, who did it? It's an expression. Now, it's not an expression that we comfortably hear in English, but we do see a parallel expression in English, like how, how great, how great is this night? Or what has happened here? Maybe that's a better example. Ma, what, what has happened here? Maybe that's actually the crepshite. How different is this night? But not what's different about this night. Pesach's not so far away. You know? so it's well behind us, so let's talk about Pesach. Um, but you say in English, what's happened? And that's the expression in Yeshaya. Mi bara Ela, who created this? As in, what an amazing thing that whoever created it did it. It's not an interrogative. Now, it could be read as an interrogative. Mi milela Abraham, who will say to Abraham? But the rest of the Pasuk doesn't then fit. Heinika banim Sarah. Sarah will breastfeed many children. Ki aladati ben because I have... I have uh, uh, born a son for his old age, doesn't fit if me, Milela, Abraham is an interrogative question. Who will say to Abraham? And it's also the case that why would Sarah say, who will say to Abraham? But what she means is how amazing it is that someone will say to Abraham, i.e. God. And that's why Rashi says this expression is Loshan Shevach Vachashivot. She's referring to the subject of me, Milela, Abraham, i.e. Hashem, not asking a question, but praising. Isn't Hashem wonderful that he will say to Abraham? Okay. Ra'u ma hu umihu. 
they will see who is he and so what he is and who he is. Uh, and then in brackets, so it shouldn't be there, the Kamahu Gadol and how great he is. So as a result of this wonderful thing happening, the world will see who Hashem is. Me, Malela Abraham. Who is this person, this entity that will say to Abraham? Not asking a question. We all know she's referring to Hashem. It's as he says, Lashen Shevach V'chashibot. What's so great about what Hashem has done? He has kept his promise. Hashem is the one who promises and does. And that's what Sarah is saying. Um, I, I actually wonder why we're referring specifically to keeping promises at this point. Um, I haven't got an answer for that. It's not just that she's had given birth, but that he's kept his promise. Actually, I think it's implying that it's something other than Kiladati ben Zekunav. That's in addition to Mimalela Abraham, that who will say, of, who is it that will say to Abraham, which we've said is a praise of God. So what's God done that's not Kiladati ben Zekunav, because that's a separate thing, that he's kept his promise. Okay, then Rashi's got something interesting on Milel. Shina hakatuv. The Pasuk changed from the normal expression. What would be the normal expression? Below Amar Diber. And the Pasuk didn't say Diber. So he would have said, Mi Diber la Abraham. Now the word Milel is an equivalent word. It does appear in the Nach. I'm not sure if it appears elsewhere in the Chomish. Probably yes, but I don't recall where. It's certainly rarer than Diber. So Rashi says, if it's the odd word, it's there for a reason. It's something to darshan. And what does he darshan with the word milel? He says, gematria shalom meya. The gematria of the word milel is 100, 40, 30, 30. Kulama lesof meya la Abraham. As if to say, this is at the end of 100 years of Abraham. Um, I saw a suggestion. I, I, I'll class it as cute. Um, that why did she say this in a slightly hidden fashion? Why didn't she say, wow, Abraham was 100 years old, and look, he's given me, I, I've given him a son. But she does it in a slightly coded fashion. And the answer perhaps is, um, if you remember Yudchet uh, Yudbet again, what did she say when she heard that? She and Abraham were going to have a child, but Titzchak Sarah Bekiva Leimer Acharei Baloti Haitali Edna VeAdoni Zoken. So she laughed and she said, "I'm old and my husband is old." And what did what happened when she said, "My husband is old"? Hashem, when he repeated it to Abraham, missed out that bit. The famous example: Hashem changes for the sake of peace. So the reference to Adoni Zoken was omitted because obviously it was a little bit disrespectful to Abraham. So maybe you can say, and I'm not sure this is sharp, but I, I regard it as a cute thing. Maybe you can say that Sarah does want to refer to Abraham being old, being 100 years old, because that's part of what she's thankful for. But she doesn't want to say it explicitly, because that's a little bit, she's, she's learned. That's a little bit disrespectful. So she says it in Gematria. She says it in the word Milel. And then, uh, and this we'll just do, and then I think we'll pause. Um, the Hainika uh, Vanim Sarah. Will Sarah feed, nurse, children. What's the problem with that line? Banim. What should it be? Bani. Ben. Okay. Ben, Bani. Because there's only one. So Rashi has to find a reason to explain why it's nursing children in the plural. It says Rashi, Umahu Banim. What is meant by Banim? 
Loshan Rabim, plural. Says Rashi, Beyom Hamishte, on the day of the feast, which is going to be mentioned in the next person, Heviu Hasarot Benehen, they brought, who brought the Sarot, the noble women, brought their children, their babies, and she nursed all of them. Shahayu Amrot, because they would say, the other people, Lo Yalda Sarah, Sarah didn't give birth, Ela Asufe, Evia Minashuk, but they brought a foundling from the market. In other words, just they found the baby and like brought him and pretended it was Sarah's because the idea of Sarah giving birth at 90 was so, and indeed Abraham fathering a child at 100 was so absurd. They're making it up. It's really a foundling. And she was able to prove them wrong because she was able to give milk, which shows that she indeed has just given birth. Interestingly, and, and that explains Hanika Banim. Now that Midrash has explained why it's plural, that on that day, Sarah was actually nursing more than one child, but lots of children. Interestingly enough, we have heard this story before. Where have we heard this story before? If we look at Yud Zion, Tet Zion, um, and by the way, in some editions, it's Tetvav. Or you can go back to the shear that we gave on the 7th of May, which covered this Pasuk. Yud Zion Tetvav. Uh, in my book, it's Tet Zion. It's the word beginning, Uberachti Ota. So Hashem says, he's telling Abraham, everything's going to be hunky-dory, they're going to have a child, and he's going to change their names. And I will bless, Sarah's going to be, Sarah is going to be Sarah, and then in Tet Zion, and I will bless her, Uberachti Ota, Begam Natati, Mimena Lacha Ben, and I've given from her to you a son, Uberachtiha, and I will bless her. Now, Rashi is bothered by the repetition of bless. The first blessing is I'll bless her and give her a son. So what's the second blessing? So Rashi there answered it as follows by saying, with the nursing from her breasts, when this was necessary uh, for this, on the day of the feast of Yitzchak, because they, the other people were slandering them. Sheheviyo asufi menashuk. But they brought a, the Avram and Sarah had just found a foundling from the market. Ba'omrim benenuhu. And, they, and the accusation was that Avram and Sarah said, this is our child. So what happened? Ba'heviyo kalechat bana. Each one of these women who came to the feast brought their child, Ima, with her. Umenikta and their wet nurse, because they didn't do it themselves, they were rich enough to have a wet nurse. Lo heviya, they didn't bring. For, and so what are the babies going to do when they get thirsty? The he, Sarah, henika et kulam. She nursed all of them. And that's what it says. Henika banim Sarah. That Sarah will nurse children in our Pasuk. And that's from Barashi's Rabbah. What's interesting is Rashi has told the same story in different ways. There's extra details there in Lech that we don't have here in Vayera. What are the extra details? Two in particular. One is that they were slandering them. Now, although that's hinted at in our text, it says, Shahayu Amrot Lo Yalda Sarah. They said Sarah didn't give birth. But in Lechacha, the Shahayu Muranim Alehem, they were slandering them. It's more of a distinct campaign. The next detail is in Lechacha, it says, 
the noble women brought their babies, but didn't bring their wet nurses. Here in uh, Fayera, there's no reference to that at all. And I think the reason for these differences is Rashi is answering a different question. What question is he answering here? Very simple. Why is Banim in the plural? We only need to know why Banim is in the plural. We need to explain why she nursed more than one child. And the only detail we need is how come there was more than one child that needed nursing. Whereas in Lech Lecha, it's explaining what word? Explain the word Berachticha. I will bless her. And that's not with the birth of a child. So says Rashi, and we have to sort of work backwards from the answer, the blessing is to refute the claims against her. It's not that she's given the power to, to, to nurse children. It's that, that there was these accusations and that she was able miraculously to refute them. And therefore we need to know more about the accusation. Therefore we need to know, they were slandering uh, Sarah and Abraham. And that they the, the, other, uh, the, the slanderers had this cunning wheeze of bringing their babies dafka without their wet nurses so there would be a need for Sarah to uh, nurse them. It, like, maybe it's a cunning wheeze from their point, but it's also brilliant from Hashem's point of view that Hashem found a way to demonstrate the truth that Sarah was indeed the mother, Abraham was indeed the father. So it seems to me that the focus is different in Lech Lecha because Rashi is explaining a different word. And therefore, as Rashi, and this is a testament to Rashi's greatness, when he quotes a Midrash, he quotes a Midrash very, very precisely. And he only quotes precisely the bits that he needs to quote in order to answer whatever question he's asking. We will stop there. The time is, is now. And somebody just appeared in the door, I think, waiting for people to join a minion. So we will say thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia.